0: this is unlearned
1: a self-rising production i'm jamie and i'm ca and we are your hosts this is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are
0: and exploring who we are becoming
1: let's start with introducing ourselves so people kind of get to know you know, what's up? Um, why don't, are you okay to go first?
0: <laughs> sure. Um, I'm CA and I uh, my, have a lot of things that I do in life, but my passions are neurodivergency and trauma work and especially how the two of those intersect. So that is what I spend a lot of my time researching and making content about and coaching people about. So that's a... Quick little that. 15 second intro.
1: <laughs> I love it. And if you guys have come across my stuff, I'm Jamie. I'm a licensed therapist. Um, this is my best DCA. We've been besties for like decades now, I think. How long? Yeah. Two, 20, two decades.
0: <laughs>
1: and um, what else do you need to know? Yeah, I do a lot of work in trauma and unlearning, you know, toxic people, systems, behaviors, mindsets, all of those things. So we're going to jump right in. You're going to get to a little bit of us, and then you're going to get us to do a topic deep dive. We're going to talk about trauma and how consent and autonomy work together. But first, I'm going to introduce you to a little meditation that I did, right? uh, What was it yesterday? I think you were doing a meditation too, right? So I want to read it to you because it spoke to me so strongly and it was so spot on. Okay, so I was doing a meditation and it was all about speaking to almost like a creative burst of energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was what the meditation was about. And oh my goodness, some of the stuff it said was so perfect. So... The meditation was, allow the universe to send you a signal and open your mind to the answers that you have been looking for. You can't rush this. You can't force your situation. It will come when it's time. Keep your eyes open for opportunity. The new ideas will come in like a gust of wind, unexpectedly and quietly. If you keep your senses heightened, you will not miss it.
0: Isn't that great? I love
1: that. I know. so good. I loved it. And I was like, wait, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Well, you know what? It works really perfectly mm-hmm. because this is kind of where we're leading into, you know, trauma work is so much of trauma work is self-awareness and mm-hmm. gaining back power we lost or it was taken from us. Yeah.
0: Right. That's what I was going to say at the start is like, I'm so glad that you picked this topic to talk about because I think. That is one of the key themes that is going to come up with anybody who's dealing with trauma work. No matter what type of trauma you had, one of the key factors or markers of something that was traumatic is that your consent was not an option. Um, So if, if we're talking about an accident, you didn't consent to your car flipping over and rolling. If we're talking about childhood abuse, your consent was absolutely stripped any other form of types of abuse, like that's the whole thing is you have no autonomy or consent to the things that are happening to your body, to your nervous system. And so we have to make sure that we are super sensitive to that as we move into trauma healing, Mm -hmm. because that is one of the key things that our bodies and our brains are asking us for is that sense of autonomy. Like we need that back in order to feel safe. Right.
1: Right. I love that. And that's the thing is I, I I even think about how complex trauma plays into that. And this is one of the things that so many, well, people I've worked with, but in general, when I've worked in the trauma community, it sounds like this is just this general sense of of experience that when we work with complex trauma. So for our folks listening, that are that's a new term for them, it's basically what I label insidious trauma. It's it's trauma that we don't really know is is occurring until there's enough of a pattern or a length of time upon reflection to realize that it massively affected our growth, our development, our perceptions of what is normal what isn't normal right i give the example of complex mm-hmm. trauma typically of you go to a friend's house right we talked about this before yeah. CA. like you yeah. go to a friend's house and recently one of my commenters said something like it wasn't until i lived with my grandma that i ever heard i love you when i went to sleep i never had that right and as much as people could be like okay well is that really traumatic and i go well if you're never told you if you are never told that your caregiver loves you yeah having that moment of reckoning and saying oh my god people do this that is what we mean by you may have lived your entire childhood up until i don't know 10 11 12 and then all of a sudden you have a maybe a new caregiver or there is a change of you know cus, you know custody and then you now are getting told every night i love you yeah That is what we mean by complex trauma, right? We're talking about, and that's a small example, right? We're not even talking about the big, big examples of complex trauma. Small examples of complex trauma are that. And what's sad is there's this tendency in complex trauma to almost dismiss because it's been told it's normal, right? And then we look to the DSM, which don't get me started on the DSM, but then we look to the DSM and they give examples of like human trafficking. And I'm Mm -hmm. like- um, of course, for my complex trauma people, you're not going to think it's valid, right? Absolutely. Why am I traumatized that nobody told me they loved me my whole childhood? Um, because it is traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's just that when we compare like apples to orange, like someone getting human trafficked and someone having not not being told that they are like loved and protected and safe for 12 years, both are traumatic. Absolutely. Both are traumatic and there's no ha- trauma hierarchy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so what we mean by that, right, for anyone listening, we're not going to sit there and say CA got, she didn't, but CA got human traffic and I didn't. So CA gets to process her trauma and I don't. Right. We're not going to do that anymore.
0: That's exactly it because since there is no hierarchy of trauma, there is no permission needed for you to recognize the effects of the trauma on your life and move into a space where you say, wow, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I would like to start processing this and healing this. And you don't need anybody's permission to, to define whether or not something caused trauma to your systems. And we're talking about the body and we're talking about the nervous system. These are the main ways that the body will like hold on to trauma and experience it and play it out as your life goes on until you get to a point where you start to recognize what's going on and how to start healing it. But yeah, bottom line, there is no hierarchy. No one gets to define for you if something was or was not traumatic. And I, something that's come up on my page actually, is I had somebody um, say that well, I had all that happen to me and it didn't traumatize me. And that's valid because what traumatizes one person really might not for somebody else. And we there's all these extenuating circumstances and mitigating factors that might've allowed that other person to have more resilience, resiliency or more right. support or whatever it was that helped them to process that event in a way that didn't traumatize their brain and their body. But this other person who has a totally different set of circumstances might have processed that same experience as trauma. That's such a good point. It's, it's, it's because we like
1: to do that comparison game and we want to see what's normal and not, right? When we go to school or when we go into settings, we're like, oh, um, you know, we pick out the things that are different and we're like, oh, so um, they, they seem fine. And we went through the same problem. Right. And so you tell yourself, I should be like that. And there's this whole concept in therapy called shooting on yourself, which is literally a problem. Like we kind of make a joke about it, but like shooting the word should and shooting on yourself is literally saying, I need to be something, even if it's not based in your own reality. Right. And it's just, It's, it's not useful for your healing when you're doing that type of work, when you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I should be fine. Mm -hmm. Right. I should be fine. Me and CA were both in the same car. We both got in the same accident. She jumps in the car, like no problem. And every time I jump in the car, I'm shaking. I, I can't breathe well, you know, and I see her doing fine and I should be fine. Right. And that's what we mean by we jump into situations and we compare them. And then we say we should be in this specific type of healing journey. Mm -hmm. And they had different factors. Their whole situation was totally different. And now what we're doing is we're actually creating, and this is what I usually describe it as is like, we're actually creating barriers to our growth. We create barriers to our healing and we might not be doing it on purpose, but we think that's the most logical way to kind of get through the problem. We're like, okay, I think that they're fine. So if I'm thinking that they're fine, well, I guess I should be fine too, right? And so you're doing this like logic game when in reality, it's creating a barrier for you to allow that to be real, right? So if you're like, well, I don't know why I'm shaking. I don't know why I can't breathe in the car, right? It's, it's, a, it's a rejection, Of your internal system. Your internal system is saying, Jamie, something's not right. We have to sit with this information. And it sounds scary and it's hard, but we have to sit with this because when you're sitting there and saying, no, I'm fine. I should be fine. Or you're rejecting that experience as what it's linked to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't get to heal. We don't get to heal in the way that we are meant to heal, right? We can distract ourselves, right? We can put headphones on. We can do all of the little doohickeys and the breathing things and all the things, but it's a distraction to the process.
0: Concept of consent and autonomy when it comes to processing our trauma, because lots of times this should, this should experience, it, it kind of plays into that in the sense of like, oh, I should be better by now. So therefore, I guess I don't have anything to do or process, or vice versa. You actually maybe have gotten to a point where you go, okay, now I know I have some things to process. And so you go, well, I should, I don't know, I guess I should process it. I guess I should start thinking about it and, and fixing it or whatever. But that is still bypassing your consent process mm. by saying, oh, I should just do this. I, I I should be healing by now or I should go, you know, think about this or go do a meditation or go to therapy or go blah, 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 talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And it's like, well, should you? Are you checking in with yourself and actually listening in for that autonomy, for that part of you that says, okay, we are safe to process this portion of the trauma. Or sometimes we have our body or our nervous system is going to give us, it's going to pump the brakes and it's going to say, nope, we are not ready to go there yet. And if you bypass that consent, this is where the topic comes in. You end up re-traumatizing yourself by forcing yourself to do what you think you should be doing to heal, but you're not ready for it yet.
1: We bypassed consent, right? And so I, I, you know how I like to give analogies. I was thinking of a good analogy. um, I was actually thinking of one for like being a mom, but I think for like the general public, I was thinking what would be a really good general one is I would think college. Okay, let's think of college for a second. So if we go to, right, we're 17 years old, like, and now everybody's applying, right? And we think, what should we do? Okay. We literally think, what should we do? And for some people, they immediately have like that full engagement of consent. They're like, oh, I know what I want to do. Right. And they're very convicted. And then we get really convicted people that are like, I definitely want to take a gap year. I definitely want to go to college. I definitely, right. And if you are bypassing the consent and just saying, well, what should I do? It's whatever the cultural narrative or whatever cultural narrative that year is stronger, right? So some years there's a lot of talk about do a gap year. Some Mm -hmm. years in certain college or in certain high schools, there's a lot of like, you got to go to this school. Right. or yeah. A lot of people are going to a certain school. So everyone's like, no, you got to try to apply there. Right. We got mm-hmm. all to be together. Right. Okay. Yep. But what we're forgetting is what's going on internally with you. Like, do you really know what you want to do? Maybe you do. There are a lot of people that do actually know that at that point, which is great. They kind of ask their question and then they do what they need to do, right? But then we, we have those people that are like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I really want to go to college. I don't know if I want to take out loans. I don't know what I want to do, right? And when they do the bypass of consent and they just say, well, I should go to college. Now what you're doing is you're, you're following a almost... I don't want to say it's a sheer rejection of self, but it is a pathway that isn't aligned with possibly your actual experience. Like your experiences, you might not know. So if you sit with that question, you might have an answer, but it might be uncomfortable, right? Because you might have an answer that says, I don't want to go to college right now. And all of my friends are going to, Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we have that question of like the consent. Like, if we really sit with the consent question, and we, and that's why I tie it into autonomy, you have to kind of claim that truth for yourself, right? You have to claim the truth as what it is, right? And so when we look at like the comparison with trauma, right? What we do is we kind of, everybody else is either fine, which is usually a lie, but they're like, well, Like the whole car accident thing. Well, we all were in the car and I'm the only one fine or not fine. So I guess like I should be okay. Like I don't need to go to therapy. Nobody else did. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I think I, I might need it, but like nobody else did. So like, maybe I should be just sucking it up. Right. And then we have the peer pressure narrative, right. Where it's like whatever family, if the family doesn't normalize therapy, right then now it's the cultural norm. Like kind of see how like the the college thing and the, right. It's like, whatever the cultural norm is in your family is now being the pushed on like pathway, right? And like, I know you could speak to this because you've taken different routes to healing. I've taken like a lot of therapy. You've taken a lot of self-growth mind like avenues. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm sitting here as a therapist, but that might not be everyone's direct path it might eventually be for some people, but if we look at, are you feeling ready to sit there in the therapy office? I know this sounds like very controversial, but like when we're talking about trauma consent and trauma autonomy, some people literally might not be able to be even the cultural norm of like, just go to therapy. We need, we need to sit with that for a second, like forcing one way over another you might do better work just doing some internal stuff in the beginning and feeling safe in your internal processing before you do some external processing.
0: I do actually want to talk about this on a personal note, because I think what happened with me was I, I am a person who is healing from complex trauma from an entire childhood's worth of various different types of trauma. Um, And so For me, it was like I I kind of entered into adulthood, and I spent a few years really just distracting myself from the trauma and just busying myself with all of the tasks at hand. And I became a mother pretty young, and so I was just being a mom, and that obviously has the ability to take 100% of your time and energy. And so for me, that's what I did. Uh, a few years into motherhood, I started realizing that I probably couldn't ignore my trauma forever. Um, especially as things were coming up with my own kids and my certain parts of my trauma were being triggered. I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go to some therapy." So this is what's really interesting is for for me what my experience was. Uh, it was probably initially effective. And then what ended up happening was I ended up getting into sort of a rut of knowing exactly what to say. So like I'd show up to therapy and just like people please my therapist basically Mm -hmm. and just like say all the right things and like pretend that I was doing the work and I wasn't like I would just like because of the nature of my trauma, which was Mm -hmm. that I was a victim of like. A pretty serious level of control over myself. People who are victims of similar trauma tend to be people pleasers. And so that carried on into this dynamic, because I saw this person as an authority over me. And I had been trained that you, you people please to authority figures. And so that's what I ended up doing. And I realized, like, I wasn't actually making a lot of progress, because I the therapist did nothing wrong, by the way, It actually had nothing to do with her. But it had to do with where I was in my healing journey, and what lessons I still needed to learn. And so um, I realized, like, I actually had to step back from that, and take time to get inside my own authority for a little while, and actually step inside that position of authority in myself to where I would no longer feel that need to like people please mm. at a therapist or other type of caregiver, which or um, care provider. Which is, right. yeah, I, I, I do not think my experience is unique when it comes to that.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I think when we, because we talk about this a lot, and this will probably come up later in the podcast, but we both of us have really struggled with like medical professionals and and obviously mental health professionals can be part of that role but what we really struggle with is speaking our truth and and almost advocacy of self right and advocacy of self is a skill it's a skill right and advocate advocacy of self is like think about knowing in therapy honestly being like, I, I, I might need to do something like something's off. I, I can tell that I'm people, right. We don't know that because we need to, we almost need to sit with that kind of outside of the dynamic of authority Absolutely. versus, you know, client. And like you said, I doubt that the therapist did anything wrong, but there are certain errors or energies that can be present in the therapy client dynamic or the psychologist, whatever you call it. It's, almost inherent, if that's the best or innate, I don't know if that's the best word, but it's almost like present, whether or not we want it there. Right. Mm. And sometimes it's there, even if you get a, even if you get a provider that gives you the opportunity to be kind of free range, like, yeah, Mm. absolutely. Like we are cohort, like we are collaborative. Right. And you might even say that, but trauma doesn't sometimes care, right? They're like, well, yeah, yeah, she's saying that she's my ally. She's saying that she's my, but I also had a mother that said she was my ally. Or I also had a um, mentor that hurt me or abused Mm -hmm. me. And they said they were my ally. Right. And so even if you have someone who's doing all of the right things, we may struggle with that moment of almost like honesty of like really what we're doing and where we need to start. Right. And so yeah. kind of getting back to what we were saying, the idea of asking consent and saying, where would I need to start? Because for some people they're like, you know what? I want to jump into therapy. I want to see how it goes. I want to see how I show up and mm-hmm. I kind of want to work in that model. Right. And, and then that's why I'm giving, and it's a little controversial, but I'm giving you like the idea of, and this is why CA spoke to it because she did have almost like a different scenario of I took, like you, not I, sorry, CA, (laughs) you took this almost approach of, I saw the almost things I needed to troubleshoot and then I did some of that self-reflected work and then by gaining some of that skill set, you know, you can freely choose whether or not you go back into therapy or not, but okay. When we're really talking about consent and autonomy, I and we'll, we'll, we're going to go into this probably in our part two. but I want you to hear just kind of, you know, just to give you the heads up of where we're going. One of the things me and CA want to talk to you guys about is what it looks like to actually practice the skill of consent and autonomy when you're doing self-reflective, self-awareness trauma work, right? Where you're Mm -hmm. actually asking hard questions. What does it look like to honor consent internally? And what does it look like to gain autonomy internally doing this work? Okay. So That's where we're going to be heading for part two and I definitely hope you join us because this is where we're getting into the meat meat and potatoes um, or the nitty gritty of the actual work. you so much y'all for tuning in if anything we said resonated please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts this absolutely helps us grow and we really do value your voice on this podcast so if you have anything you'd like to contribute any tips any topics or if you just want to say hi you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com You can find us on Instagram at The Unlearned Podcast or individual Instagrams at Recollect Itself and CA's at Embracing Divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com slash and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work